All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We will be in the book of Acts today. Uh, We're going to jump back in our series. Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be. Uh, And so we started this series back in September, and so our heart and our plan is to continue to work through this, and we've got those read-along cards, um, so you will know where we're at every week, but we're going to continue just to plug through the book of Acts um, and walk through it uh, as a church. And um, so one of the things that that happened to kind of set up... um, this whole thought of the book of Acts is, is simply this, is that we, um, knowing the heart of this church, knowing the, the vision of the founding pastor of this church, whenever I sat down to talk with him uh, a little over five years ago, one of the things that just struck me was the fact that his heart and his vision and his dream was to be a church that plants churches, which I believe is a very biblical thing. And so I can just remember sitting there talking with him uh, about that and just hearing how this whole thing has been set up, even here, this facility, and we're landlocked and different things like that that would make it uh, impossible for us to continue to grow larger here. Uh, the only rational, logical thing is to plant and go there. And so um, wherever the there's at. And so I can remember hearing that and talking with him through that and seeing what God's doing amongst our people, amongst uh, the congregation here, even in our heart as leadership and uh, our heart as, as the church that Christ has called us to be here in this community. Um, and as I prayed through that and I looked at that, I just felt like it was um, something that we need to do was walk through the book of Acts because you're going to see that heart throughout this whole thing. You're going to see God's church be God's church in this world, in many locations, many places. And so uh, that's just what just... Um, stirred me uh, to really just go through the book of Acts and my prayer and my hope is throughout this series as we continue to pick up and walk through the book of Acts is that God will continue to do that, that God will confirm things in our heart, that God will uh, convict certain things in our heart, that God would encourage certain things in our heart and that he would propel us to be the church that he has called us to be uh, in this community as well as this world. And so uh, I just felt like this would be a great, great book for us to study, for us to walk through, for us to to look at and just beg God to do a work in our heart whereby he changes us uh, away from us and more toward him and gives hopefully our prayers a heart uh, to reach this world. And so um, to kind of get everybody caught up, I just want to give you just a quick um, uh, overview of where we've been so far, just so we'll all be on the same page. And so you have Acts chapter 1, and in Acts chapter 1, you have uh, Jesus just finishing up what I had said um, last week, the Great Commission. If you missed that, you can catch it online. Uh, but he has them gathered and gives them the great, great Commission, go make disciples of all nations. And then you see him very shortly after that, uh, the book of Acts takes off, and that story, Luke pins it. And as he pins it, it gives us the story of Jesus. And as he's there, he's got them, and he gives us this verse where he says, and um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll receive power and you'll be my witness. And then not long after that, Jesus is taken up. And so you've got the disciples kind of standing there watching and looking, thinking, what in the world just happened? And, and, and they're questioning, why, why do you just stand there? And so they run back to the upper room and they're there for a little while. And then um, as they're, they're there, um, they, you move on into Acts chapter two and you have Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost is phenomenal in the book of Acts because at Pentecost you have the Holy Spirit actually come upon them. So what Jesus just said before he was taken up happens at Pentecost and these disciples um, have the Holy Spirit indwell in them to the point of where them being filled with the Spirit causes them to do things outside of themselves. And we see Peter, this, this lowly, cowardly type man, just be filled with, with zeal and, 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 and anxiousness as, as the Holy Spirit fills him. And so to the point of where he tells the crowd at one point, you are the ones that are responsible for killing Jesus. You did it. And what happens? 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. 
3,000 men is, I believe, what the scripture says. So really that number is probably larger than that, but it's just, uh, it makes point and emphasis of that 3,000 people are saved and added to the church that day. And then we continue on through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter three, you have Peter and John and they're walking. And as they're walking, they come by the gate and, and there's this lame man who the scripture tells us has been, been lame for birth, from birth. He couldn't walk. And he was late at the gates begging for money, begging for alms. And so he sees them walking here, Peter and um, John, and as they're there, they, he starts to ask them, hey, hey w- can you help me? Can you throw me some, some money? He, that's what he wanted. He wanted some, some money and finances to, to, to help him. And, and uh, Peter says, look, look, we, we don't have any money, but what I have, I'm gonna give you. And it says that he gets down, and he says, look at me. And Peter looks at this man, and he says, this is what I want you to do. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. And what does the man do? He gets up and he walks. And so what this does is causes a stir because people recognize and they see that, that they knew who this man was. He was the one sitting at the gate. He was the one that couldn't walk and has been there from, uh, from years and years and years. And so, so it causes this stir to the point of where it gets Peter to a place where he can start to preach the gospel yet again. And the scripture tells us him filled with the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He proclaims Jesus again. And he tells them the truth again. Repent of your sins. Be saved. And then what happens? Acts chapter four comes along and you have them proclaiming. And as they're proclaiming, they are arrested for proclaiming Jesus. And and I think the illustration that I'd given you that Sunday as I was telling of that story, it'd be like me up here preaching Jesus and all of a sudden the authorities bust in. And as they bust in, they they cuff me and rough me up a little bit and they start to drag me out. As they start to drag me out, they just just believe, repent and believe in Jesus. And it says on that day, as they did that to to Peter, as that happened, it said that 5,000 more people were added to the church. 5,000 more men were saved. I mean, so if we just do the simple math here, five plus three is eight, you add a few zeros, we've got 8,000 people out of nowhere coming to faith in Christ, and the church is just busting at the seams. It's just blowing up. And so as Peter's dragged off, and Peter and John are dragged off, and they're before the rulers, they're telling them they need to stop talking this nonsense, stop doing this, telling about Jesus. And, and I love it. It's one of the, uh, my favorite scriptures where, where Peter looks at him and says, man, you do what's right for you in God's eyes, but for me, I'm gonna listen and tell people about Jesus because there's nothing else other than that that I can do. He says, you do what's right for you, but for me, I'm gonna do what's right that God has told me to do. And so he does that. And as that's happening, you've got believers that are praying for boldness. And and I love it because I believe it's in this chapter where they get roughed up a little bit, like they get flogged for their faith. Like like they get beat because of proclaiming Jesus and they're trying to use that to shut them up. But what happens? They run back to the rest of the believers and they tell them what happens. And they're bragging on the fact that, that they were counted worthy enough to receive this kind of punishment for proclaiming the gospel. The fact that we can even be counted worthy uh, to, to face this kind of persecution and this kind of abusement like Jesus did. Praise God. And it just stirred them even more to go tell people about Jesus. It just blows my mind the fact that that happens and they continue. And then we come down to Acts chapter five and in Acts chapter five, um, the end of of four there, they start to, uh, man, just really do community together well as a church. They really love and are devoted and committed to one another. And so they're selling off their property and as need arises, they they divvy out what needs to be divvied out so the, the family of God, the people of God can continue to flourish and go. So any physical need that was there was being met by people selling off and giving and living sacrificially. And, and you've got these two in Acts chapter five that kind of take notice of this and see this. And I can remember that Sunday we talked about hypocritical living. And so you've got Ananias and Sapphira and what do they do is they, they tell this lie. 
because they have some property and they see what's happening and, they, and something in their heart just makes them want to do that. And so, so they go for it and they sell their property, but in selling their property, they come up with a plan. They, they scheme and devise a plan to give just so much to the church, to the disciples, to God. And somewhere along the line in that story, they had told a lie to God, to the Holy Spirit, where they said they would give all of it, but they end up keeping back some of it for themselves. And so they're before, he's before Peter there, and as he's standing before, Ananias is standing before Peter, Peter looks at him and says, is this, is this it? And he says, yes. And Peter says, wow, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And in that moment, he breathes his last breath, and he dies, and he's carried out. And not long after that, his wife comes in, and the same thing happens. Peter asks her, and he's like, oh, no, this is it, this is all. And he's like, why? He's like, just moments ago, your husband said the same thing, and God took his life. And those men right there, they carried him out to be buried the same's gonna happen to you and she breathes her last. And so God takes serious sin and we see that even in the New Testament. I, I know sometimes we like to pick God kind of against himself, like God of the Old Testament, he's cranky, he's a little aggravated, he's a little mad, he just wants to zap people. And you get to God in the New Testament, it's Jesus and he's all lovey-dovey and he's got highlights and he's like sweet and he's the, guy, he's the guy on the cross, remember? He's great. Same God, same God takes the life because of sin, because of the seriousness of sin. And so we see that in this story and so then they get arrested again. As they're arrested, they go before Gamil, and Gamil is this teacher that we'll find out, we found out that week that, that poured into uh, Saul at the time, will be the Apostle Paul, but poured into him, and was just a great teacher of the word. And so he, he, can, he can talks to him about releasing these men from prison, letting, letting Peter and, and John go. And he says, man, if, if this is something um, that's, that's of God, then we're fighting a losing battle here, boys. But if it's not, then it'll fizzle out. And he gives illustrations of those who had kind of had an uprising as well, but only to have it fizzle out, only have it to end badly. And he says, let's just, let's let this thing play out. And so that happens in, in Acts chapter five. And then we move to six. And in six, you've got the disciples who, who choose seven men because what had happened was there was some, uh, a group of people being left out. The Hellenists, which were the Greek-speaking Jews, they felt like they were being neglected. And so they, they, go, they go to the disciples and they tell them. And what do the disciples do? They see and realize that they can't handle and do everything themselves. And so what do they do? They find some men of good repute, good reputation, godly men. And they raise them up and they hand over this need to them to oversee, to supervise, to lead through. And so they're responsible for handing out the food, for serving and giving things to people as that need comes. And so they do that. They distribute the food. And so even in this, now you have a new character that kind of busts onto the scene because up to this point, the, uh, the uh, apostle Peter, he had been one of the, the, the faces in the story, one of the driving forces behind the church. And so now we're introduced to a new character that'll, that'll step up and that'll help the gospel go forward. And so we have Stephen, and Stephen was included in these men that were of good repute, a godly man, a God-fearing man is what the scriptures teaches us and tells us and lets us know. And so he's in the synagogue, and as he's there, he starts to dispute with some of those in the synagogue. And so what they do is they take him before the council, try to shake him a little bit. But him, and the scripture, I love this, the scriptures here directly tell us over and over and over about Stephen that he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. That he has got the Holy Spirit living within him. That's where he gets his boldness from. That's where he gets his knowledge and wisdom from on how to answer, how to say, what to proclaim, what to do. So if you've ever feared, what do I say when I'm in front of him? And if you're seeking God and you are emptied of yourself, God can fill you with his spirit and his presence and he'll give you words to say. He'll give you actions to do 
And so the story tells us about Stephen being a man like that. And then we finally get to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, he says this, and this is harsh words being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what God gives him to tell them. He says, brothers, God called Abraham and appeared to Moses. He says, but you killed the righteous one. You killed, you killed Jesus. You killed our God. And so as most people love to be called out for their sin, what do they do? They handle it very wrongly, don't they? And so they gnash their teeth, they start to wail, they're frustrated and mad and, and just ticked at this. And so what they do, they're enraged. And so they end up grabbing him and taking him outside of the walls of the gate and they begin to stone him, throw stones at him and rocks to kill him because they wanted to squash this nonsense. They wanted to squash this. And so we see all of those things take, take off and happen in the book of Acts, which is gonna lead us to Acts chapter eight this morning. So if you have your Bibles, grab those. That's where we'll be. Acts chapter eight, verse one. And we're just gonna walk through some verses this morning. And so this is what God's word says. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. So what we see here is Paul's hatred, I mean, Saul's hatred uh, in this moment, we know will be the apostle Paul. His hatred for believers in this moment is made known very, very uh, upfront about his response to, to Stephen and his message. And so we know that he's responsible because it tells us that he approved of it, but also in Acts 7, 58, it says, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Paul was for this. Paul gave his stamp of approval for the execution of this believer, the persecution of believers in general. And what we know by this story is it's about to get worse. It's about to get far worse. He wanted to be done with all this Jesus nonsense. He wanted it to be over. He wanted this, what he thought to be a mutiny. I thought of this uprising, this occult to be done away with and be over with. This Jesus nonsense had to come to an end. So he goes after those believers of the way. And so what happens here is Stephen being martyred. In Stephen being martyred, it sparks an outbreak of mass violence, mass hatred, aggression toward the church, toward believers. And so the story goes and it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And, they're all, and they were scattered all, all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then de devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So they just weeped over the fact that Stephen was gone. And then verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we see Saul's response to this. This whole thought of the church, this whole thought of the way, this whole thought of this Jesus nonsense, and he responds with violence and aggression. And so immense persecution breaks out against the church. Immense persecution breaks out against the church. And so I just wanna speak for a moment here this morning, church, is, is, is it's common. There is aggression toward those of us that believe in Jesus and try to live him out and try to walk him out in a day-to-day, moment-to-moment, every single thing of the day. There is an aggression that's rising against the church. People cannot stand the fact that, that, that we believe a certain way or they cannot, the world, the darkness cannot stand the fact that we live a certain way, that we have expectations and standards whereby we live and function as the body of Christ. And so there's this aggression. We haven't got to this point yet, but there's an aggression toward those of us that believe in Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to disconnect from reality. I want you to know that there's this rising aggression against the way, against the way of Jesus. The world's coming for us. But, but Jesus reminds us that if they hated me, if they hate us, remember that, hey, they hated me first. 
And so Jesus will give us what we need. Jesus will do in us what we need to propel us along. And the thing that we see and we can read over and over and over in the scriptures is when persecution comes, God always seems to give his church what he needs to propel her to go even further, to do an even greater work in times like that. That God will fill us and give us what we need in those moments as persecution arises. And it's usually in that persecution where God starts to, to shake, shake the tree a little bit starts to show us who really belongs to the way because you're not just gonna suffer for nothing. You're not just gonna go through a difficult time for nothing and so your faith will be made known in those moments of immense persecution and that's what we see happening here in the church early on. And verse four says this, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so this, this week as I was kind of reading and as I was studying, as I was praying through, as I was looking at these scriptures, as I was trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you wanna do in this place this morning? Uh, I just had a neat moment as I read that and, and I don't know how many times I've read this scripture before in the past and I've just kind of waxed over just went right by it but he says now those who were scattered went about preaching the word and my question is this who were scattered and, and before you answer that I just want to flip back over to, to verse number two and it says this um, verse three it says this uh, no verse one I'm sorry and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria and then there's this little tag that says except the apostles except the apostles so the people here who were scattered were everybody that were not the apostles I just love that I love the intentionality of Luke here, letting us know who was, who was dispersed among the nations, who were dispersed among the region, who got out there. And in verse two, it tells us that it was everybody but the apostles. Now the apostles are back in Jerusalem. And so I just find that to be interesting. We'll talk more about it here in just a second, but this is the first time that the gospel expands beyond Jerusalem. And over in chapter one, Jesus says, now you're gonna be my witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so they finally start to move, they finally start to go. And the thing that I love this week as I read that, as I looked at that, is that it's carried in the mouths of average Joe, normal believers, not apostles, not the professionals, not the prof they're still back in Jerusalem, these apostles, these men that walked with Jesus, that saw Jesus, that, that had conversation with Jesus, that was poured into by Jesus, they're still in Jerusalem. It's all the other believers that have been dispersed that, are, that have gone out. And so I believe this is just how God uses and accomplishes the Great Commission through average normal people. Nothing special about any of us. And the thing that I loved as I read and as I looked this week is the fact that the church does not grow by the preaching of the apostles. These highly trained men that walked with Jesus these highly trained men that were invested into by Jesus. The church doesn't grow by the preaching of the apostles. Early on, there's some growth because Paul, um, not Paul, Peter proclaims Jesus and tells the truth about who Jesus Christ is and shares the gospel. But the world, the unreached people groups are gonna to come to know about Jesus by just average believers living their life day to day as they are fleeing persecution. And so as I thought about this this week, as I looked at this, and I just let God kind of just hit me with this, I just believe that it needs to be the same for us here. This needs to be a picture of us here. And so I say that to say this, it's not about a personality on a stage, or it's not about a specific person or a, a type or a like of this or that. No, it, it needs to be, this needs to be our model. 
Us going to our world, us as we are going, as Matthew 28 tells us, this needs to be the picture of how we do this. It's not about one person. It's not about one person standing up here proclaiming. Hear me, if the church grows because, because of that, then we're doing it all wrong. It, it was funny as I just kind of thought about that this week and as I thought about this kind of model. And, and um, I remember a conversation my wife and I had here in, uh, a while back and we were just talking about music and things like that. And so uh, we always joke, like, I, like I'm a guy that could come and I could just listen to like two hours of just preaching. Like I just, I, I get amped up about that. Like I just get geeked up about that. I love that. No knock there. It's gonna get good for you here in a minute. So just hang tight. So, so, like I, and so we're talking and I'm like, okay, baby, like, so, so I know your favorite part of the service. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, I, I know you. I'm, I'm the favorite part. Like me getting up there preaching, like your man's up there doing his thing and giving him Jesus. And she's like, Scott, actually, no. <laughs> what? I, like, I have to be your, she's like, no, you don't. I don't know who you think you are. A discernment and that Holy Spirit speaking through her. I mean, she's like, you're, you're okay. She's like, but the music. Man, I worship in the music. And so as they get up here and they lead and they get to usher us into the presence of Jesus through, through song and through music, I mean, that's the gospel being proclaimed through song as well. And so, but it can't be about either one of us. It can't be about, oh man, he's got a great voice, or oh, he really dissects the scriptures and he exegetes and he, uh, all of that kind of stuff goes really, really good and he just gives us these illustrations. I mean, for goodness sakes, I threw cheese balls at a baby doll last week. I mean... So it can't be about that kind of stuff. Growth for us, it has to be deeper than that. And that's what I love here, is when these believers are filled with the Spirit, what do they do? They speak of the gospel as they're going. They tell of Jesus, as persecution comes, they spread, they get out of Dodge, they run away, they disperse. And as they disperse, what do they do? They tell people about Jesus. And so that's what I love about Acts 1.8. It says, and you will receive power. Jesus is talking to the, to the disciples, but it, but it spreads and it goes further than that. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth is what he says. And so the thing I love about it, eight chapters in, the you here in 1.8 is just normal, safe people. That's what we read in the story. It's just people that have come to know Jesus through the gospel. That's who helps this message spread. So two thoughts real quick. First, the you here, you, the people in this room this morning, you are Acts 1.8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, when you believe and you are saved, you get the Holy Spirit. And so as the Holy Spirit fills you with his presence, you will do this, you will live this out. So this has to be our model. It has to link back to Matthew 28, as you are going, has to. It's not up to the professionals. It's not up to the, to the, to the ones that have been to school for so long, or it's not up to the ones that, that, that have, have went through this study or that study. It's, no, it's, the, it's, the, it's the everyday believer everywhere. The use in this story, that's who God wants to use. So if you're a teacher here this morning, God wants to use you. If you're a nurse here this morning, God wants to use you. If you're a coach, if you're a painter, if you're a student, I mean, for goodness sakes, he's using a, a senior in high school. If you're a landscaper, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're retired, that's who God wants to use to spread his message. Yes, as a pastor of this church, I've got responsibility to live that out and to model that and to do that, but it's not all on us as leadership. It's not all on us as the professionals, and there's not professionals. Professionals. 
It's on the believer, that's who it's on. It's on the use. You will receive power. You will be my witness. And the second thing I want to point out here that I believe that we need to be heavy about is we need to go after lost people. That's who we need to go get. The gospel finally spreads outside the walls of Jerusalem. We're eight chapters in and the church finally moves. The church finally moves and goes like Jesus said it was. So I'm just gonna step aside for a second because I'm not 100% certain why she stood still for seven chapters. I don't know if there was complacent or they were complacent or I don't know if they were content. I don't know the reasoning, but hear me church, we can't fall into that. We need to have a passion and a desire to reach this lost world. That's what we need to have. We need to get outside the walls of our comfort and our security, and we need to get outside the walls of this nice, pretty building, and we need to get into the trenches out there in that world, and we need to share the gospel. We need to tell people about Jesus Christ as we are going. That's what we need to do. So at work, so at play, so on vacation, so wherever it is that you go, wherever it is that you hang out, we need to go, and we need to have a a burden and a heart for this lost world. Eight chapters in and they finally go. And so sometimes God has to light a fire in us and under us and he does that by the way of persecution. And so my prayer for us as a people here this morning, and this always just kind of gets my wife amped up when I do stuff like this, but I just feel so passionately about this as if God needs to bring persecution, God bring persecution. If that's what's gonna light a fire in us and under us to go tell people about Jesus, then do whatever you need to do. If we're not gonna have the heart of Christ as the people of God, then God, you do what you need to do in us. God, you help us. God, you do whatever you need to do in me to make me that serious about telling people about Jesus. And there is nothing off limits in my life. That's the heart that we need to have, church. That's the place that we need to be at. Sometimes we need a fire lit under us and in us, and God does that by the way of persecution. So that you hear in Acts, they go after those who had never heard it. They go after the people groups of the world that, had, that don't know about Jesus. And so that you hear at New Life, we have got to do the same thing. That's what we need to go after. We as the church need to be reaching lost people. That's what we need to do. And this is what I know statistically because the argument is, but we're in the Bible Belt, we're in the South, church is the thing you do on Sunday, hallelujah, we just sang some, this is good. But what I know, what statistics say is this, and these are a few years old, is that 70% of the people in our state don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. So there are plenty of people that we need to go after. What that says is this, is that once you leave this place, wherever you go eat, wherever you go, whatever your community that you live in, seven out of 10 don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. So there is plenty of a lost world for us to go after and for us to share this and and teach and walk with. And so we see the church scatter and she scatters and she does so to reach the world with the, the gospel. That's what we see done here. And God uses those whom it would seem like he would never use. I love that. I love the realness of the scriptures. Verse five says this, Philip, this is the you right here, just a regular guy, just a guy that loves the Lord. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits carrying out with a loud voice. They came out of many who had had them and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. 
So what we see here is Philip's ministry is one of, of word and deed. Word and deed. They heard him, but they didn't just hear him. They saw what he did. And so a true witness always involves both word and deed, the things that we say and the actions that we live out. And so what I want to say to you this morning is this, is what you say had better be backed up by how you live. What you say had better be backed up by how you live your life. We'll never reach the world being like the world. We will never make a difference in this world being like this world. It would be like this. You tell somebody to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You'd be committed and devoted to her, but all the while you belittle your wife or you neglect your wife or you tear your wife down or you abuse her. How ridiculous and crazy is that? Why would I ever listen to someone like that? Oh, but just love your wife like Christ loves the church. Just serve her and care for her and, and value her. Lift her up and help her flourish all the while you beat yours down. All the while you talk badly about her around the boys. All the while you don't serve her and give your life away for her. But how often is that us? How often is it? It's easy to say the right things. It's much more difficult to back it up with action, is it not? And so we had better be a people of word and deed. You had better be what you speak out in this world because hear me, the world knows when you're bluffing. The world knows when you're just giving them hot air. I believe that they're tired of it. I believe that they're sick of us saying one thing and living a different way. Either you claim and live what you say or you quit claiming. Either you be what you say you are or you quit telling anybody what you are. It's either believe, be saved, or repent of your sin and let God use you. And so then look at the result here of the gospel being spread. And see, when people are saved, this is what happens. Listen to this, verse eight, it says, so there was much joy in that city. I just love that. Because of the faith of the people, because of Jesus and the gospel being proclaimed and lives being changed, there is joy in this city. So my question is this, is Bowling Springs, is Inman, is the upstate a place that is labeled this way because of us taking the gospel, us living out the gospel, us seeing God do a work in this city? Would that be said of us? Not just joy, but what the scripture says, much joy. Much joy because of a relationship with Christ. Let's keep going, verse nine, it says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and he amazed the people of Samaria by saying that he himself was somebody great. And so what we see here is he's a self-proclaimed dude. Like, hey, I, I, I'm a great guy. Like, I'm, I, I don't, you may not know me this morning, but hey, like, I am something, let me tell you. Like I, am, like, I am the bomb. Like, I am all that in a bag of chips. Like, like, I am somebody. That's what Simon was doing. He was telling people of how great he was. And I just find that funny. I mean, because who buys that stuff? Who, 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 who reads that press? Where's the critics in this moment? I just find that funny, but I just love the honesty of the scriptures. And so the story goes in verse 10, it says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Who called him great? Himself. He's the one that said he gave himself that name. They didn't care to mention that, but anyways, they think that he's great all of a sudden. And so they paid attention to him because for, as, for a long time he had amazed them with magic. So let's talk for a second here because in this scripture, in this, in this text here, whenever he had amazed them with his magic, this is what it is. It's just a, a mixture of, of, of genuine scientific knowledge. 
It's just a mixture of that. It's just like, it's, it's, it would be like this. It was um, maybe even uh, about medicine and astronomy, like how the body works, how it can be healed, kind of, man, the stars. He could kind of uh, um, woo him a little bit with his knowledge for how the galaxies are kind of there and what happens up in the galaxies. Maybe superstition, so he would maybe use charms. Uh, interpreting dreams or horoscopes type thing, maybe a, a sleight of hand. He, he would use trickery is what he would use. In our modern era, it would be kind of equivalent to this, of people who uh, would read horoscopes or maybe use crystals to claim that, that uh, maybe they saw the, the Virgin Mary crying and they collected her tears in a bottle and they'll sell them to you and it'll heal anything that you've got. Just crazy, ridiculous, out there type of stuff. That's what Simon would be doing. He'd be using a lot of trickery, a lot of manipulation, a lot of sleight of hand, all of that kind of stuff. But look what happens in verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, verse 13. And even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he's amazed. So now there's something fundamentally different here in this moment, in, in this scripture, in this story about what, what they did, the apostles did compared to, or the believer here, what he did compared to what Simon did. See, there's no tricks with him. There's no trickery or manipulation. There's just genuine miracles. Somebody's sick and now they're not sick. Somebody can't walk, now they can walk. God is doing an amazing work through this believer. And they pointed to a message that was greater than the one giving it. They pointed to the one who, who deserved all glory and honor. They pointed to a crucified savior. That's what, that's what was different here. It wasn't self-glorification, it wasn't lift me up, it, it wasn't any of that stuff. He pointed to the one who could forgive sins and heal souls. And so I just want you to take a mental note for a second here because we see that Simon, he has belief or he has faith, it would appear. And so we'll circle back that here in a moment because true motive and true heart's gonna be revealed. And verse 14 says this, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had uh, received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen any of them, but, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so in this period of time, this is a transitional period. Why do we not do that today? Why does that not happen today? It's because that was a transitional period in time in which a confirmation by the apostles was necessary because what it would do is it would verify the inclusion of a new group of people into the church. That's what it would do. See, before it was all about the chosen people of God. It was about the Jews. It was about Israel. That's who it was about. But now what you see is the gospel goes forth to everybody. The gospel is made readily available to anybody who would believe. And so the apostles come and they, they, they it's this confirmation is what this is. And I believe this is just accomplishes a couple things. The first thing is this, is that the Sumerians, they received the spirit in the presence of the leaders of the Jerusalem church so that the church could be unified. So that the church could see because, I mean, I know we are so far beyond this, but we would never pick or throw stones at other believers, would we? Oh, that, they, but they do something a little different than we do. Or that whole spirit thing that they talk about, that Holy Spirit guy thing, yeah, it's a little weird for me and I'm uncomfortable, so I'm gonna kind of just move over here. And so, but we would, ne anyways, we would never ever do something like that, would we? And so what this does is this helped the church be unified. This shows that, man, that they're genuine believers. 
And God confirms that. The second thing it does is that it shows that the Samaritans need to come under the authority of the, of the, of the apostles, to come under the authority of the church. That's what this does. That's what this shows. Verse 18 goes on. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I, may, uh, I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so what would happen in this day is you'd have these different magicians, you'd have these different sorcerer-type people, and they would come through, and they would buy each other's secrets. They would give money for each other's secrets. And so I can just imagine, like, his bills are turning. He's sitting there just checking. I'm already great as it is, and he's sitting there checking this out. He's like, man, I could be even greater if I can get that trick in my bag. And so he's just watching. He's just seeing. And he comes with, hey, how much, what's, it gonna, what's it gonna take for me to, to get that trick? Oh, you take card? Like, like what's, it, what's it gonna take? What's, gonna, what's it gonna, what, how can I get a hold of what you're doing? How can I get a, get a part of that? How can I be like that? And verse 20 goes on, and this is what it says. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. He says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Peter calls him out. Peter says, dude, what, what are you doing? Th that's not what this is about. I mean, you need to be saved. You need to come to faith. That's what this is about. It's not about this trickery or look at you or look at me. I mean, we see that in the story. The one proclaimed as Jesus. He's the one that's made famous. He's the one that's lifted high. And so, so Peter gets on him and says, man, this is not right. And so the invitation to come to faith is in that moment for Simon. It's in that moment for Simon. And so, so we need to circle back for a second because what happened earlier on in Simon's life said that he believed and he was even baptized. He was baptized for Pete's sake. He'd been dunked, man. Yeah, I believe. How do I get that cool trick? I've gotten wet. How do I get out my hands on that? Man, I did the thing. I've got the T-shirt, man. I wear WWJD bracelet, for goodness sake. How do I get a hold of that stuff? And Peter calls him out and says, man, that's, that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And so, so I want to be sensitive here this morning in this moment. And I just want to impress you and I want to encourage you that if you've come to Jesus for any other reason than Jesus himself, you've come for the wrong reason. And I know what can happen in the Christian setting or in the church setting is, is, is this is the good and right thing to do. And yes, it is the good and right thing to do. But here, what we see is that motive matters. Simon had said he believed and he'd been baptized. But was he saved? No. No. Not even close. And so what I want to say here this morning is this, is I don't care how long you've come to this place, I don't care how long you've been in it, I don't care how long it was ago that you were baptized. Man, if your heart and your motive is not for that of Jesus Christ, if it's not pure and real for him, then you're probably not saved. If there's no conviction over sin, no brokenness when you sin, man, the most loving thing that I can tell you this morning in this place is this, is you need to check your heart. I'm not saying not one person in this room is saved or not saved. Because what I know is the only person I can speak for is the guy standing on the stage right here. And I know what God has done in my heart and in my life. And I know the motives that I have. And yes, I check my motives often. I have to. 
So I can't speak for not one person, but what I wanna do is this, is I wanna speak for a moment into your life, into the life of this church, is that don't you come week in and week out saying you know Jesus but have no relationship with him. Because there is a grave, grave difference in knowing Jesus and having relationship and walking with Jesus whereby Jesus uh, changes your life, he convicts you of sin, where there's a glad obedience for his word and obedience to him, whereby whenever you sin and you break the heart of God, you're broken over that. You have a disgust and hate for sin. There's a great, great difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus personally. And so what I wanna do this morning in this place is I wanna break down that barrier and that wall. I don't care how long you think you've been something. If you're not something, man, this morning, the same invitation that has been given here to Simon is the same invitation that's been given here to this church this morning. Because I don't care how long ago it was you were dunked, because you know what I've learned? You can go down a sinner, a lost person, you can come back up a sinner, lost person. That's what I've learned. That's what I've had the privilege of seeing here in the South as I've had the opportunity to lead student ministries, as I've had the opportunity to to, to, um, lead college students, as I've had the opportunity to be in the church for any amount of time, people that have been promised something that was never theirs. And hear me, I can't promise not one person in this room this morning. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not me. That's not on me. I just get to be the messenger and tell you of the one who can save you. Now, if your pride gets in the way and you don't let the Holy Spirit work and you don't let God woo you and draw you, that's not on me. And I say all of that to say this, man, that there needs to be freedom in this place. That if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and I don't give a rip how long you've been coming or how long you've proclaimed something that you're not, man, there is nothing more debilitating to say that you're something that you're not and have to pretend and play. So what I'm saying is this, if Jesus is drawn, you be saved. And don't give a rip about what anybody else thinks in this place. I don't care if you even leave a life group. You don't know Jesus as Savior. Know him as Savior. Come to faith because this is what I know. And you'll know because God is drawing. God is doing a work. And how crazy. I just, I just want to speak. I just want to let you know of the lies that are told. I mean, how ridiculous and crazy is that to think, well, what will they think? Who gives a rip? Because what I know in Scripture is there's not a person in this room that can touch me. There's not a person in this room can do a, a thing to another person in this room. I believe what the Scripture teaches is the one that you need to worry about is the one that holds the keys to life and death, heaven and hell. That's what the Scripture teaches. So who gives a rip what your best friend, and, he, and this is just a nice way to say it, if they don't celebrate and rejoice over the fact that you got saved, then they're not your best friend. That's the only way I know to say it. And if there's anybody in this place that does not celebrate and rejoice over the fact that someone goes from death to life, then they've got a heart problem that we need to address next. You, you tracking? That's what I know. So what I want to say to you this morning is this, don't let that be, don't let that be an excuse. And your attendance or you wanting some of that stuff does not necessarily mean that you are Jesus's. Man, I just got off track there. But anyways, let's just keep going. Um, and so that's what we see here. That's what we see Peter do in the life of Simon. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth about himself. So it goes on to verse 24. And Simon answered, well, just pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. And I think the thing that breaks my heart is this, and it's the same thing that happens week in and week out, I believe just in the church, maybe here, I don't know. But the thing is, is he just leaves? I mean, he hears that. Peter tells him. I think the thing that breaks my heart, and I don't know, this is just speculation. I just say in a room this size that there's probably somebody here that don't know Jesus as Lord. This isn't manipulation or trickery. I'm just, I just, possibility. Possibility. 
And the crazy thing is that you're going to walk in here week in and week out, and you're going to hear the songs, you're going to hear the proclaiming of the gospel, and then you're just going to leave this place not knowing Jesus. I mean, that is hard. Oh, hey, Simon says, pray, just pray for me to that Lord that you're talking about, that none of what you just said would come upon me. Remember, I'm great. And he was too worried about himself. Couldn't get over himself so he could get to Jesus. That's just, that's just devastating. And so to close this morning, this is what we see. Now, when they had testified, verse 25, and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. The gospel goes forward, and it's unstoppable as the band comes back up to lead us in this moment. And the gospel goes. They testify. They speak the word of the Lord. They return back to Jerusalem, these apostles, as the word continues to go out, as the gospel continues to spread and go forth. I love that. It's unstoppable. So my question for you this morning is this. Do you know the gospel? Have you been saved? Just what I said a second ago. And the second question I ask is this. Are you committed to that movement? Are you proclaiming the gospel in our city? How? In word and in deed. Intentionally speaking it out. Intentionally saying it. Intentionally living it out. Are you doing that? I just want you to be committed. I want what I, my prayer, my hope, this is Scott's selfish prayer and hope this morning to accomplish in this place is one is that you walk out of this place knowing that you belong to Jesus. And two, that you walk out of this place doing what we see here in these scriptures and it's telling people about Jesus as you go. And then as you go and you tell people about Jesus, there may be opportunity just like we saw here this morning of, of to, to team up and partner up and do life with someone whereby you can, you can do Jesus together. You can encourage and pray for one another. And the cool way it happened here is through, through our, our nursery, through our children's ministry. She just washed her boy a little bit and in that they strike up conversation. Imagine what it would look like at your work this week if, if that was the vision and heart. One, I wanna share the gospel. I want every lost person in this world to know Jesus. If that was our heart, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at school, whether I'm at play, whether I'm at the game, whether I'm at the movies, wherever I go, That's what I want us to be. That's what I want our heart to be, church. That's what I want us to get to. And I say all that to say this, knowing that I fail every single day to tell somebody about Jesus. You know who I told about Jesus yesterday? Nobody. Not, not one person. And I wasn't just cooped up in my house with my boys. And I tell my boys about Jesus and we talk about him and my wife. But, but I'm talking, that's easy. I mean, that, I, want to, I want to do the difficult things. I want to be uncomfortable because I'm just like anybody else in this room. I'm just gonna come down here for a moment, can I? We just talk. And I'm just like anybody else. The moment we start to talk about Jesus, it gets weird. And then there's always what the devil tries to do in me is like, do you really, do you think you're gonna know the answer that they're gonna have? Because don't they always have hard answers or hard questions? And that's, I don't, I'm a pastor for goodness sakes. I don't wanna look like an idiot. No comments. I don't wanna look like an idiot, you know what I'm saying? And if they, Pastors are supposed to know it all, aren't they? No. I don't know where we get that, but no. There's no way. And so I do the exact same thing as anybody else. And I, and I debate and I fight that and I let, the, I let Satan use that in my life and kind of, to kind of beat me down some. And I don't share and I don't tell. And so when I read this this week, when I looked at this this week, what God has convicted in my heart is simply this, is, is, is I need to do a better job telling people about Jesus. And, and, and hear me, this don't count. This is easy. I assume we're all kind of on the same team here. 
Well, I know you joined, you came here this morning because of Jesus. I know that. So that, that kind of makes it a little easier to talk to you about Jesus. So this, this, I get no credit points for this in heaven, I don't think. So what I know is as I read that, as I looked at this, I'm a part of the you that needs to tell people about Jesus. And I'm the part of the you that needs to invite people to church. And I'm the part of the you that needs to invest in people. And God has just been kicking my tail over that the last few weeks. When I sat up here and said, we need to make disciples, what did I do this week? I met with somebody to make a disciple. So when I stand up here and tell you, I need to tell somebody about Jesus, what I'm gonna do this week, I'm gonna look for somebody to tell about Jesus this week. And trust me, I will come in contact with plenty number of people to talk about Jesus. I just need to be aware and willing to do it. So that's what we need to do. We need to have a heart for the lost. And so what I'm praying for me, what I'm praying for this church is that God would give us a heart for the lost. So often what we do is we go after the church. We try to find disgruntled church people at other places. Oh, there's always a better church out there. And you know what? There's a better one than this. And there's a better one than the next one that you'll go to. And there's a better one than the next one you'll go to. What we need to do is we need to get somewhere. We need to get planted. We need to get invested. We need to give our life away. We need to serve. We need to come under the authority of the scriptures. And we need to live out and be what Jesus called us to be in that area. And we need to pray about it. And we need to make sure about it. Is this where God wants me? And then we go after it. And we, we serve and we give our life away. And we do this. And we go after the lost. Not other church people, but the lost. And so I want to flash a number up on the screen real fast as I, as I get ready to pray and we see what God does in this moment. Right there. Right now, that's what I'm praying for. That's what the leadership of this church is praying for. That's what your trustees are praying for. 285. 285, why do you say that? Because when we get to 285, we get uncomfortable in this place. And if we're going to be serious about being a church that plants churches, we need to be uncomfortable. Because what I know is this, is that when we're comfortable, we get complacent. And when we get complacent, we get disobedient. And when we get disobedient, it breaks God's heart. And when we break God's heart, we're not the church that he's called us to be. And we don't get to do what he's called us to do. And so my prayer is this right here, is that God would fill this place with 285. And I know it's not going to come from the preaching on the stage or the music on the stage as good as I think that they are. But what I know is going to come from the yous, from the me's that go out and we share the gospel and we invite and we go after the lost world. And we do what we saw done in this place this morning. We partner up and we do life together for the sole purpose of of pushing people to Jesus. That's how we'll get to that number. And I believe we'll get to that number extremely quickly if we do it the the biblical model. Because then when we get to that number, we've got to figure out what to do as a church. Two services, do we plant? Do we have more chairs? Do we knock down a wall? What do we do? No, we're not going to knock down a wall. But what do we do? But I know this, if we go after the world, God... That's what we see in, in the book of Acts. God, God adds to the fold. God adds to the number daily. God does a work. He uses us to accomplish that work, church. He uses us. Hear me, we have got to get butts out of seats and hit the streets. That's what we've got to do. We've got to go after the world. We share in our circle. We have to. We must go to the lost world. That's what we do. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if maybe this morning God has shared with you or showed you in the presentation of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you that you need to be saved. I don't know if that's the first step for you or I don't know if the second step is, you know what, I haven't shared with somebody and God's put somebody on my heart and I haven't so I've been disobedient so I don't know if it's repentance. I don't know what the case is for you in this place this morning. And but my prayer is that you be obedient to him. I'm gonna ask you if you'd stand. I'm gonna pray. If you need to come pray, if you need to talk more about what the gospel means, anything, I'm here. Tyler's here. 
we'd love to talk to you more about what that means, what that looks like. But I just want to encourage you this morning, be obedient in this place to whatever God calls you to do. Lord, help us in this moment. Hear your voice. Live you out. God, please, please, please do not let me saying something from this stage manipulate or try to trick. But God, may your Holy Spirit confirm. May your Holy Spirit maybe draw or woo a soul here that don't know you if that's the case. God, help us be serious. God, light a fire under us. And God, if we need persecution, if we need whatever it is to go share, God, give us whatever. That's grace is what that is. So move in this place, and we pray. Amen. You respond as God leads.